Buongiorno everybody and welcome. This is Identity Unlocked and I'm your host, Vittorio Bertocci. Identity Unlocked is the podcast that discusses identity specifications and trends from a developer perspective. Identity Unlocked is powered by Auth0. This season is sponsored by the OpenID Foundation. In this episode, we focus on Fast Federation Working Group, FastFed for short, in the OpenID Foundation. And today, we are chatting with Darren McAdams, software engineer at AWS and the author of all of the specifications of a working group. Welcome, Darren. Hi, Vittorio. Glad to be here. Thanks for joining me today. And as it's tradition, let's start with how you ended up working in identity. Common answer is by accident. And so I guess I'll explain my accident. So I'm like an Amazon lifer. I've been there since 1999. And people often ask me, like, you know, what was your first team at Amazon? And I'll I'll sort of think, I'll be like, I was on the team. Uh, You know, it was the team that did like ordering and the catalog and customer service tools and, you know, A to Z. But what happens like with all companies is you get bigger and teams specialize and you fragment. And so I think I went from that to I was on the ordering team. And then that specialized further. I was on identity doing customer um, sort of login to the amazon.com website. <laughs> of course, it, it like specialized even further where at a certain point I was just doing addresses. Address books was what we did. But yeah, I had a, that's sort of how I, I ended up there. Um, and then I, I sort of switched from there to Amazon's own internal sort of corporate identity and access management. So I got a flavor of that. And then uh, about four years ago, then I, I joined um, AWS side of the Amazon house where I work in AWS identity. So I guess if uh, if one reorg had gone a different direction, I would be on a podcast right now talking about, uh, I guess, order fulfillment optimization or something. But but identity uh, is where I was, and I really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. Fantastic. And on behalf of identity community, we are uh, all very grateful that uh, you are working there because uh, the work you're doing, the one that you're going to talk about today, is really, really important. So thank you for that introduction. It was really interesting. And let's jump into the main topic. The main topic is FastFed. So what is FastFed and uh, what is the problem that we are trying to solve with it? The one second pitch is like takes federation set up from weeks to minutes uh, is what we often say. But um, I mean, I'll tell you how I figured it out because it took me to a, a while when I was first starting here to, to figure out what the problem was either. So Dick Hart, who I think you had on this podcast before, Dick's great. He actually kicked off the FastFed working group. And Dick and I were on the same team at the time. And he was... He was looking for an owner to take on sort of editing and drafting the spec. And, and so he, I think he zeroed in on me and he said, I think you should do this. And to be honest, I didn't get it. I'm like, you know, I read the charter. I'm like, yeah, you know, I know some standards, just someone writes a draft and it sits there and they go nowhere. I'm like, do I, do I want to waste my time on this? And, and so Dick's like, no, just, just go try to set up federation. Like I'd never done it before. I, I, I'd never, you know, I think this was just after I joined this particular team. I'd never done it. He's like, just go try to set it up. I'm just like, he nagged me, nagged me. So I'm like, okay. So I, I think I went to Google G Suite, as it was called at the time, like just created a directory with a few users. And I'm like, I'm going to set up single sign-on. So I, think I picked AWS and Salesforce. And so I'm clicking buttons in the, in the UI, trying to find the right place to start. And eventually I get to the page to set up uh, you know, an app. And I think the very first thing it said is like, there was like a, a form field. And it said like, please paste your entity ID and ACS URL. And at that point, the needle just scratches on the record because I'm like, what? So first line, first page, uh, I'm already stuck. So clearly I have some some learning to do. 
And so this was, you know, SAML was the technology that was being used. So I'm like, oh, okay, I'll go read the SAML spec. And so I pause that and I download the SAML spec and I start reading and I'm reading and reading and I'm getting more and more confused. And that's when I realized the SAML spec is several hundred pages, I think, if, if you add it all up. Uh, so I start skimming and I come out of that. Like, Dick, I'm even more confused. Like, I just don't get any of this. He's, he, and I said, like, he's like, what did you do? I'm like, oh, I read the SAML spec. And he just started laughing. He's like, nobody reads the SAML spec. I didn't know that at the time. It, apparently, there's only like one tenth of it that actually gets used in practice. So, so he's like, just follow the directions. So I find these directions, you know, credit to Google. They had pretty good instructions. Um, they're different ones for AWS, different ones for Salesforce. They'd be like 42 steps long. They look like a pre flight checklist for launching an airplane. Uh, so I have this list up on one screen and it says, it literally says like, go to the app and look for this thing on the page and copy it and paste it to this box on this other page. And I'm, I'm like checking off these one by one. I don't really understand what I'm doing. I go through it. There's a point where you have to say like, what attributes should you convey? And like, it had its own domain-specific language for attribute mapping because if you're sending the email, people want them spelled or capitalized different ways. And I get through all that. I have a few errors. Had to figure out the, the steps of, you know, I, I missed step 37. So I had to go back and fix that. I got AWS eventually working. I, I never got Salesforce working. And if this was the real world, I'd be on a call to their, you know, tech support and they'd bounce me back and forth to Google probably. And, and maybe a week or two later, <laughs> we might get it working. And then what I figured out is, uh, I didn't even know this until later, but if I did get it working, it would fail a year later when the certificates, which are behind the scenes there in SAML, expire. Wow. You really went uh, all in and felt the pain of uh, the people that uh, is, are supposed to benefit from FastPath. That's great. That's fantastic. Yeah, so I came back to Dick and I'm like, Dick, we have to solve this. Why has nobody solved this? And he's like, yep, now you get it. <laughs> so if you work at like a large organization and you do single sign-on to uh, things like Salesforce or whatever, you owe a thank you to someone in your IT department who is setting up all this stuff. It's not fun. And that's what we're trying to go after. That's tough. So you described beautifully the challenges that uh, traditionally one have when you try to set up a federation and uh, what you're trying to do is uh, to spare people from that pain so that federations can be established without going through that pilgrimage of pain. Exactly. You know, why isn't this like on uh, any consumer facing app where you know, log in with Google, log in with Facebook, click a button? They don't understand OpenID Connect when they're clicking that button. Like, why can't we have that? And so that, that push button experience is what we're going after. So now we understand what is the problem we are trying to solve. Now, so now let's think for a moment about the how. Can you tell me, like, what are you doing in FastFed? What things are you describing that will make uh, this problem better? I might go through the, the journey we went through with the group, because I think it's, it's a question maybe uh, folks might have when they're listening, too. It's a question that came up a bunch, which is, why do we have to do anything at all? I mentioned login with Google, login with Facebook. Like, that stuff exists. It works. Why aren't we done? And what we found out was that enterprise is a little bit different it's some of the things that make it different, there is, well, one is just there's there's kind of more standards in the mix. Uh, some people using SAML, OpenID Connect, Skim for provisioning. And so you get, you know, if you're building an app that's serving an enterprise audience, you're looking at all these standards and you're like, which ones do I implement? Uh, how do they work together? 
you know, if someone's authenticating with SAML but doing user directory synchronization with this other standard skim, how do they how do they play together? How do I even know whether to do SAML or OpenID Connect? And and you know, as I mentioned, SAML is 800 pages, so like which subset? And so there's just a whole bunch of confusion that resulted in every app kind of doing it differently. And so there's pretty much no interop to the large part. But in addition, enterprises have some differences from just a single individual clicking login with Google. One is that login with Google or login with Facebook presumes that somebody knows they have a Google or Facebook account, which you can pretty much assume. If you go to anyone who works at a large organization or enterprise, just pull someone in and be like, who's your identity provider? How do you sign in? You'd get a blank expression. And you'd be like, I don't, do you use Active Directory? Do you use Okta, Azure, Ping? It would just get more blank. And so like, they don't even know how they log in. Some other differences, you're, you're setting it up not just for your yourself, you're, you're kind of connecting an entire organization. And now your your security team's probably waking up going like, wait, 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 wait what? You're going to let everyone in the company put corporate data into some system and, and you're giving them the employee directory. Like, Whoa, I want to look at this one. So there's there's reviews that happen and you have to handle that. And I think the other big difference was the fact that the, the fancy word we often say is there's no pre-established trust. But what that means is is the app and the the corporate directory have really no awareness of each other. And that's different than like login with Google. Like I don't know if anyone's ever set up login with Google, but you do that. And what you know, what you're doing is the app developers, before you have that button on your website, you've gone to Google. You've filled out some forms, you've registered, Google gives you some stuff. There's a, now you and Google know about each other and they, they probably even give you a library to put the button on your page. And so that's a sort of like pre-established relationship, pre-established trust. And you get into enterprise and there's pretty much an, that's, that's like impossible to do. There's no, how many thousands, millions of enterprises, a lot of them just running their own LDAP or Active Directory and Federation server, like an app like Salesforce cannot possibly register or even know about all these in advance. And similarly, a lot of a lot of the uh, corporate folks don't know about all the apps they want to use in advance. And it's just so, so many of them. And, and so it was, it was, we called it sort of bootstrapping from zero trust. How do you get these two parties who have never talked to each other or even know each other be like, yeah, we're going to trust each other for sign-in or whatever. And so that was, that was one of the differences and one of the other things we really had to tackle. So all of these things uh, point to a lot of options, possibilities, and uh, you don't know in advance what the parties it shows. Also, you mentioned the attributes, which is another, like uh, everyone has their own vocabularies and similar. So you brought order and method to these chaos. So ways of uh, declaring some of those options so that you are not left guessing, but you are uh, restricting the space of possibilities. So how did you guys did it? What, what aspects did you describe? Uh, what processes did you introduce? You know, the, the logical problems we realized we had to solve was, was one, like, how did the computers find e- like each other? Because in a way, like, our ultimate goal was that we don't want a human being copying and pasting 42 steps of configuration back and forth. How do we say, like, hey, computer one, meet computer two, and go ahead and exchange the information you need to exchange, and don't make me copy and paste 42 different things as a human being? The worst, you know, humans, the worst possible data bus you could ever pick to convey data between two computers, which is why it takes several weeks to set up because we always screw it up. So you look at that and you're like, what are the logical questions? Well, how do the, how do the two computers find each other? What's the URLs? How do they talk to each other? How do they establish trust that this thing's allowed to talk to this thing? And so there was a bit of a, of a handshake there. And then we often talk about, you know, fast fed in a way is a, is a carrier frequency for configuration data. 
So you're connecting two parties, you're telling them they can trust each other to exchange information. And then there's JSON is what it comes down to in formats that, that we sort of prescribe, but it's extensible to say, oh, here's how you can sort of declare, one party can declare what I do. I, I do SAML or OpenID Connect or SKIM. The other party can declare the same, and then um, they can sort of exchange a negotiation over that care frequency about, cool, uh, I think we both speak the same language. So let's agree to do SAML and turn on skim and and here's some of the endpoints you need to do that. So it's it's that discovery, that carrier frequency for configuration and, and that contract negotiation. What can we both do? And and let's let's go set it up. But in the end, the end result is exactly what a human being would have copied and pasted. We're just letting letting the computers copy and paste between each other. SAML has metadata already, right? What is different with using FastFed versus uh, using uh, directly the metadata in SAML and uh, the scheme uh, APIs for uh, doing provisioning, all of that stuff. We definitely did not want to reinvent SAML metadata or OpenID Connect dynamic registration. Like there's a lot of good stuff there. There's no, you know, don't throw that out. But there's a there's that, you know, we keep coming back. It's, it's the bootstrapping problem, which is oh, how do I know this app does SAML or this IDP supports SAML versus OpenID Connect? And if they do, uh, how do I find their SAML metadata file? Is it hosted on the internet somewhere? What's the, what's the URL? How do I get permissions to retrieve it? So that sort of bootstrapping is, is what you, you need to do. And, and if you actually look at what's going on the wire, you'll eventually just see, if you're using SAML, for example, one of the messages that goes across is the parties just say, oh, here's my SAML metadata file. You can just go read it now. I see. So do you have uh, metadata? <laughs> it is. It is. I mean, it's one of the funny things because it's, you know, a lot of these, you know, we always, you know, why do we need this? Why do we need this? this is a question that comes up all the time. But if you, and I asked myself and I was looking through some of the specs, like, you know, there's open ID connect dynamic registration, aren't we done? And so I'm reading it and, you know, there's a fundamental question that, which is how do you know that a certain app is allowed to actually do the dynamic registration with a certain, you know, organizational directory? And I'm like, you know, you're reading it like a mystery novel, being like, I can't wait to read this part of the spec where it explains how that happens. And you, and you get to the last page and it's like, this is an implementation detail that's out of scope. And you're like, what? <laughs> so basically, yeah, basically, I'll say like, oh, yeah, magic happens somehow. Don't ask me. That was our problem. If we want a push button experience, we can't just punt it to magic. The buck stopped with FastFed. And so we had to figure out how to actually solve all that. Yeah, which is uh, a big responsibility because uh, getting a consensus uh, in a standard body is really hard. Like very often those standards are like underspecified because it's a failure of reaching consensus. Whereas in here, you had to get to push buttons. So you had to make some choices, right? Yeah, it was interesting. You mentioned underspecified. You know, once once you set a goal of like, this is a push button experience and the and the, the the user pushing the button doesn't know a single thing about any of these standards like that was really our goalpost you run into a, a lot of issues with the fact that the things are under specs are under or over scoped in some way under one you know like saml certificate rotation isn't described anywhere in the saml specs but if we didn't make that work people would press button set these things up and then a year would fail and then they have no idea why it would fail and suddenly they'd have to become saml experts again so we had to sort of extend the spec in a way. You know, sometimes we had to def profiles. A skim was one, for example, where everyone, it turned out, had implemented skim provisioning differently because the spec is just really generic. And so when people were connecting our, our products together, it just, it never worked. So we're like, obviously that's not a push button experience. So that's one where on the other end of the spectrum, it expected a lot of things and we had to profile it down and say like, if you're doing fast fed, this is the way you do it. Then we just know it'll work. 
Scheme has this uh, thing that uh, I unfortunately stumbled upon in a spec I'm leading, which is uh, uh, the fact that the groups, roles, and entitlements don't have uh, a, a fixed schema. Like they have some uh, advice, but then ultimately every implementation decides. Like the, your, all you know is they are lists, but then the shape of the entity is uh, not defined. So I guess that you guys had to dig into that as well. And on the scheme stuff, Again, I'm very ignorant on the on the spec because I just wanted to make sure to <laughs> represent an audience that doesn't. Uh, so I I didn't read it uh, anytime recently. So uh, I might be saying something silly, but I have a vague recollection that there, there you can de- actually declare the attributes that you want to exchange versus uh, using Scheme directly. So that's a big acceleration, right? Yeah, I mean, Scheme lets you. Maybe we'll explain what Scheme is in case people haven't looked at it. So, I mean, you'll you'll hear the acronym come up a bunch for synchronizing users from one directory to another. So just to pick an example, if you're like at, you know, Okta or Azure AD or Ping, or there's many of these identity providers, and they have your directory, and then you want to use Salesforce, but you want to sort of keep the list of users that are in Salesforce in sync with the list of users that are in your corporate directory. Uh, on an ongoing basis. And so Skim is that technology that's sort of synchronizing the directory in the way you say. The interesting thing, though, is that if you sit down and read the spec, this is what I went through. I, you know, I sat down and I'm looking for the section called synchronization. And there isn't one. Like my control S search came up empty. And I'm like, that's interesting. So then I started reading it. And the spec itself is actually pretty cool. But it, it's modeled almost like a, a modern LDAP where it's it's got APIs to, you know, it's CRUD operations, put users, get, search, delete, basic, just, you know, that kind of stuff. And and you can also, I think, Victoria, this is what you're saying, where you could declare users. There's, there's a space where you can declare your schema. You know, this is, this is how I define a user. Now, it's cool for the most part. They've also added a uh, core shared definition of what a user is and what an enterprise user is. So almost everyone uses that. Uh, the challenges, though, are, are one, you know, how do you build a recurring synchronization mechanism with CRUD APIs. And it turns out everyone made up their own way. So that's what we had to sort of rationalize. And the other one is, you know, when it comes to that schema and declaring what, you know, what attributes you want, everyone just pretty much says like, oh, I speak the core user schema, but it's huge. Nobody really uses that to sort of shrink it down and say like, of this subset, here's the two I need and the four that are optional. And I don't understand the rest, so don't send them to me. That's another thing we had to solve. So more profiling and more uh, scoping down. That makes complete sense. Yeah. I mean, one of the ways a lot of these skim setups fail today is an app might mandate that you give a display name. It just app, That's one of the fields in, in skim. But if you don't send it, the person can't log in. How do you know that you got to send the display name? And that's, that's the kind of challenge. From the nature of a problem, it seems like you had to solve a long list of uh, tactical issues, which... Uh, on paper, on the whiteboard, it seems uh, solved. But if you actually want to make it happen in the world, then you had to. So I'm curious if there is something particularly challenging, something really surprising that, uh, I don't know, maybe you tried an approach and then you had to change course. Uh, some like a war story of uh, your journey in trying to develop uh, this standard. We definitely went through some iterations just trying to figure out where does this journey start? You know, So at some point, someone says, Aha, I want to set up single sign-on, probably because they their their security department just yelled at them to set up single sign-on. So they're like, what do I do? And so someone's there trying to press a button. And so when you know, one of the first questions was, well, where do they start? Uh, do they start in the app? Do they start in the identity provider? We went 
back and forth and we actually had one attempt that started at the identity provider and it just didn't work, missed some use cases. It was really kludgy. So we ended up starting at the app, ended up making a lot more sense. So that was, that was one where you had a few fits and starts. Interesting. One of the things we, we worried about a lot that may not be quickly jump out was we worried about making it too easy, which, which isn't that intuitive, but um, you know, there's some security consequences that could flow if we make it too easy. And you can imagine, you know, maybe I'll explain this a bit. Like Vittorio, let's say, you know, you have your own Salesforce instance for your company and, and I'm a bad person and I would love to poke around in there and find all your sales leads or whatever. You know, how would I get in? Well, there, there's hard ways I can try to compromise one of your employees' passwords or their workstation. That's, that's a lot of work. It would be a lot easier if I could just trick you, Vittorio, as the administrator of that Salesforce instance to... Um, set up my own directory as a valid way to log into your Salesforce instance. And then I can just log in with my own password. That would be, that would be way easier. Now, of course, today it's, it's, you know, when it takes two weeks and a call to tech support and 42 steps to set up federation, kudos to anyone who could trick anyone into doing that. Your powers of persuasion are amazing and, and fearful. <laughs> but so that's, that's never really been a thing that people worried about, but of course now it's push button. So like, how would someone, you know, could I trick Vittorio into a pushing a button that would let me sign into a Salesforce? We had to think about that a bunch. And, and to be honest, it gets into UX, uh, risk scoring, things like that. I think when we were first doing the prototypes, we realized we, we zipped through the technical backend implementation pretty fast. And then we got to the UX and we're like, how do we make this safe and intuitive? And there it's like, well, that's where all the time is. And we still owe, I think, a best practices once we, we figure this all out for ourselves. Some best practices guidance on that. That's really interesting. It's such a counterintuitive thing. Like we fight complexity all the time, but you are you raise an excellent point. If uh, you lower the bar too much, you might uh, be adding to the attack surface. Now, I'm going to throw you a curved ball. I was recently talking with uh, uh, someone who works in decentralized identity. and. Uh, as usual, I was challenging them saying, uh, what is this thing good for? And one of the answers I got was, uh, well, you could uh, get away with uh, all these uh, setting federation up. Everyone would be able to just use uh, the VC, like their verified credentials and just sign in without any setup. And to which like, my reaction was like, well, but people do want to do that setup because like, there are things that uh, the administrator wants to de- decide and similar. So it is overhead, but it also plays a function. So I wanted to hear if uh, you ever had a similar discussion, if uh, what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, so I, just to make sure I, I, I get the, the scenario, are you thinking about maybe, Vittorio, if this is your first, you wanted to use Salesforce and it was your first time going there, that from the very first moment when you click sign up, you that you could enter like your own corporate creds and do single sign-on from the moment of sign up. Is that kind of what they were thinking? So the idea is that uh, when you use these decentralized identity, you get these special kind of credentials that uh, you can, uh, as a user, you can use without the identity provider knowing. And the idea is that uh, these credential brings with it a number of attributes that you got from your provider, and then you can choose uh, to use them. It's kind of like uh, your driving license that you can pull out and use without uh, the department of driving license knowing that you are using it. And then uh, like uh, someone can decide to accept that credential. But at that point, you don't have uh, much choice in terms of uh, negotiating these attributes. You kind of get the attributes that uh, you found. So to me, it seemed a bit uh, odd to put it in the context of uh, federation because uh, federation, typically you decide what's the scope, what the 
whatever things you want to to get. Whereas in that case, uh, you you don't get that choice. Uh, so it's, it's it's that decentralized identity kind of discussion. Yeah. It's interesting. I think we never explicitly said this, but maybe people might have gathered from the context is FastFed is definitely targeting first and foremost the, the enterprise audience that has its own unique things. One of the things that is unique about the enterprise is security teams at an enterprise want the opposite of decentralized. They want as centralized as you can get. They want to know everyone who's in the directory. They want to know what they're doing. Uh, they want to tightly control all the attributes on your employees. I don't get to, ch- you know, I wish I could choose what my salary and job level was, but, you know, someone else controls that. And of course, if, if I were to leave the company, they want to make sure I stop accessing those resources uh, for the company as, as quickly as possible. And so, you know, maybe I just haven't followed as, as closely, but I think there's, I haven't seen the, the corporate enterprise community talking as much about decentralized identities. Great. Thank you. I know it was a, a big uh, side, uh, side tour, but I was just uh, curious to to see if you heard anything about it. Fantastic. So this has been something that uh, you guys have been working on uh, for some time. So where are we? Like, uh, are we close to these being a standard? Is there an uh, adoption out there? What, what's the situation? On the internet, you'll, you'll see some demos that we did before, but where we are with the spec is uh, we, we just recently got it to what's called implementers draft. And this is the point at which... Uh, the, it really implies this spec is stable enough that you can start putting some money behind the implementation, like putting it into roadmaps, putting some engineers on, on the building some things. And we'll probably learn a few more things in that process and catch a few bugs in, in there. But it's really expected to be pretty stable and ready to, to implement, hence the implementer's draft. And so what's going on? We just had a, a recent worker group meeting and you know, you recognize a lot of the names in there. So we were all trying to figure out what our roadmaps are. Um, are we going to start on the app side or the, you know, who's going to start on the app side? Who's going to start on the identity provider side? We're trying to figure out when, like we've all sort of penciled in our roadmaps, but the, you know, it's 2020, 2021, and we've lost all meaning of space and time. So normally we'd be like, let's pick a major conference and work backwards from that and do an announcement there. And, and now everyone's like, you know, I don't even know what day of the week it is. I think we're just circling around like what we want to actually put as a milestone. But it's definitely starting implementation. There's an open source implementation of Java 1 uh, that's in progress out there. Where for the most part, we would expect people would, would look at that and not go read the spec and, and re-implement everything from scratch. If you were to issue a call uh, for action about this, what would you want uh, listeners to do? Maybe, you know, for, for the engineers out there, Certainly, if if you're curious, if you want to join the group or, or look at the spec, it's all out there. I think if if you're maybe just as a customer almost saying, I, I'm tired of setting up, you know, spending two weeks and, and pulling my hair out setting this stuff. Like, when do I get fast fed? That's one where you should really just reach out to, if you have an account manager or or, or whatever the right channel is to, to submit the feature request, whether it's to the, the app or, or to the identity provider. Those matter. How often we're hearing from people about I want X, Y, or Z is really how people decide whether to focus on X, Y, or Z. So I think that's the other thing. If, if this sounds interesting and you want it, uh, ask for it. Makes a lot of sense. And uh, we'll uh, add uh, links to the show notes. So if any of these is uh, actionable, we'll, uh, we'll make sure that people have the right tools to, to get there. Well, this was uh, extraordinarily interesting, as I knew it would be. So thank you so much for uh, uh, being with us today and uh, walking us through FastFed. 
I'm sure that uh, you'll get a lot of people reaching out because a visa truly does solve an important problem. So I'm looking forward to see visa more adopted. Thanks, Victoria. Yeah, it was, it was fun to do this. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Until next time. The OpenID Foundation is a proud sponsor of the Identity Unlocked podcast. Since its formation in 2007, the Foundation has committed to promoting, protecting, and advancing the OpenID community and technologies. Please consider joining the Foundation and contributing to current working groups. To learn more about the OIDF, please visit www.openid.net. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Subscribe to our podcast on your favorite app or at identityunlocked.com. Until next time, I'm Vittorio Bertocci and this is Identity Unlocked. Music for this podcast composed and performed by Marcelo Walowski. Identity Unlocked is powered by Of Zero. Copyright 2020, Of Zero Incorporated, all rights reserved.